The buck starts here. Milwaukee grants the wish of superstar forward Giannis Antetokounmpo and delivers Damian Lillard, which ramps up the odds of the Bucks winning a title. How much pressure will be on Lillard to win it all? The Mets screw the Marlins, the Cubs screw themselves, and the Mariners may have screwed a possible final wildcard spot in the American League as we're down to the final weekend of the baseball season. From hard knocks to harder knocks, the Jets are hearing it from the fans, their iconic franchise player Joe Namath, but Aaron Rodgers has something to say about all this. Plus week four in the NFL, week five in college football, and a Ryder Cup preview which begins tomorrow in golf. Plenty to dissect as we close out the month of September. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels Podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast. Whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there. Whichever one that you listen to, once again, just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Reels Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The final podcast of the month has a ton to get up, get into it, and get involved as there's a lot cooking on the sports stove and here to serve up a five-course meal and then some is yours truly as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back and who would have thought that as we get closer to October and fall is in full swing and even though the fall and winter sports, football we all know has begun we're almost a quarter into the season when you think about it. Really, once you get past next week, because of the 17-game schedule, which everybody knows I can't stand. But because of that, we're almost at the quarter pole of an NFL season. NHL, their exhibition games already have begun as they get set for a season that begins a week from this Saturday. And then you had a blockbuster trade that came out of nowhere, which I know people are going to say, wait, Jay Reels, you're going to start off with Damian Lillard being traded from Portland to Milwaukee. What does that have to do with anything that's going on currently now that's happening on the field, on the diamond, etc. in sports? Well, as we all know that this was heavily rumored, or at least this player, looked like he was going to head to South Beach as his preferred destination. And a guy, as we all know, could shoot the lights out of the ball, is not going to say he's better, but just as good, maybe a shade below... Steph Curry, when it comes to his shooting range, 
We know about Dame time, him pointing at his wrist, talking about it's time for him to show up or it's time for him to deliver as we've seen him dispose of the Oklahoma City Thunder in that first round playoff series many years ago. And a guy that is a quiet superstar, low-key, a la Kevin Garnett of the 2000s, where he stood in Minnesota all those years before moving to Boston and therefore winning a title that first season in Beantown. And not to say that this is similar, but it's a scenario that's quite the same when you have a guy that looked like he was going to stay in Portland for his whole career and now has pivoted to where he has a spot, a destination, to where he could possibly win a championship. And we understand that Lillard is a guy that, when we take a grand, giant look at the NBA, is he up there with Joel Embiid? Is he Nikola Jokic? Is he even Luka Doncic? Is he still even LeBron at 39 years of age? Anthony Davis? Is he amongst the likes of those guys when it comes to the upper echelon of the NBA? He is not, and therefore, for those listening, you could argue, why am I leading off with this particular topic? Well, two reasons. One, it is a blockbuster trade that does shift the balance of the Eastern Conference and maybe even the NBA overall. And number two is that there's plenty of time to get into football. There's plenty of time to even get into the baseball, which is now in the final few games of its season, and a lot has transpired here over the last few days, so I even could have led with baseball. College football... After last week, it's certainly going to fall down a little bit with the schedule. Going to tail off a little bit. And Ryder Cup, there's only a handful of people that really care, so I'm saving that on the back end. But this trade yesterday blindsided everybody, which is the other reason why I'm bringing this up. Because I talked about this on my YouTube channel where the Raptors were interested in bringing Lillard north of the border. And they would have to give up guys like OG Anunobi and Scotty Barnes and a bunch of picks as we all know. And not to say that me bringing that up was the catalyst for the basketball gods to have this trade happen and send Lillard from the Pacific Northwest to the Midwest. And when we take a look at this trade, and yes, we could break down all the various pieces and who went where, and it was a three-team trade that also had Phoenix a part of this where even DeAndre Ayton gets shipped as well as Drew Holiday. He gets shipped to Portland. And there's a lot of moving parts here, but we all know that the big picture is Damian Lillard and him going to Milwaukee and delivering a guy that Giannis Antetokounmpo, and we talked about this maybe, what, three, four weeks ago, where he said that he's not going to sign another extension, which I believe would be somewhere in the vicinity of three years and $186 million, if the team were not to bring any type of significant players, or in this particular case, player, that could certainly put the Bucks in contention here for the next handful of years. And what did the front office and ownership of the Bucks do? They delivered a guy that nobody expected would have even been thought to be part of a trade, and now to bring him here is the perfect combination where you have a guy who is still at the peak of his powers and a one Giannis Antetokounmpo that's going to run the floor, that's going to try to run through you or around you to get to the hoop, and a guy that could shoot from pretty much half court and take a bit of the load off of Giannis for him not to do everything. And that's not to knock the Drew Holidays of the world, who's going to be better defensively than Damian Lillard, or even Chris Middleton, who's a guy that doesn't or can't seem to stay healthy 
and although is very streaky when it comes to him shooting, but a lot of the pressure doesn't need to be on him. Now you have a guy in Lillard that you know at 32 points a game, and he may tail off a little bit when it comes to his scoring average, but still could light up a scoreboard at any time, could certainly be that guy that could take over fourth quarters. It doesn't have to fall on the shoulders of Giannis or even Middleton for that matter or anybody else on the team. And that's going to be the second part of this, which I'll get to in a minute, regarding Lillard and the pressure that's going to be on him to win a title. But with this trade, there is no way that if you're a Buck fan that you could thumb your nose at it, that you could be disappointed. Yes, you do not like to see Drew Holiday go, who was a big part of that 2021 championship team. And having a guy like that who defensively could clamp down on any of the opposing guards, point guards, or even two guards for that matter. So you know that him being out of the picture and going to Portland is a loss. But when you're bringing back Lillard, even at 32 years of age, and even though he's going to be owed a ton of money here over the course of these next two or three years, it's a deal you had to make. Especially not only to appease your superstar player, but also to enhance your chances of winning another championship there in Milwaukee. And yes, we could talk about who the Suns got and who they traded. I know DeAndre Ayton was also part of this three-team mix where Ayton was controversial from the standpoint of him giving that extension last year, whatever it was, four years at $118 million, and a guy that, as we all know, when he's on, he's on, but he floats in and out of these games, and maybe the Suns couldn't trust him 100%, and knowing that you have Bradley Beal there in the mix to go along with Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, it was easy for them to trade Ayton as a part of this three-team deal. So... Portland, they're looking to rebuild and retool. The Suns, they're pretty much set as they sent players over to the Trailblazers. And as we all know, the Bucks got their guy in the process. Now, what does this do for Milwaukee as far as their chances this year? Well, of course, it's going to increase them significantly. We know the type of player that they're going to get. We know that he's a guy that could put up 30 in his sleep. But now the big picture for the Bucks here, is that they have to win a title over the course of these next two to three years. Because it's not as if Lillard's going to get any better. And he has had injuries here over the last couple of years, which has hurt him, no pun intended, because you have to wonder about his health, knowing that he's been in the league 11 years. And yes, we could talk about all the accolades and the All-Stars and his shooting and how great it is, etc. But... Now that he comes to Milwaukee, and granted, it's not New York, it's not Philadelphia, it's not Boston, it's not any of your big cities, but with Lillard there, and with the Bucs already winning a championship a few years ago, how much pressure is going to be put on Lillard to not only play big, but play big in big spots against big teams in the conference, whether it is Boston, all right, do you want to say Philly right now, which they're an unknown because of James Harden and with training camp opening up in the next week to 10 days, you know there's going to be a whirlwind of press in the city of brotherly love to try to get some answers as to what the status is of James Harden moving forward. And although we can look at it maybe at this current moment as a two-team race, I know the Heat, you got to throw them in there even though they were an eighth seed. And I'll get to them in a minute with Jimmy Butler. But for Lillard, who has not faced that type of pressure... There's only been one conference final. And for him to now get to a team that has already won a championship and has that missing on his resume, and knowing that the regular season is one thing, 
All right, the Bucks could go 64 and 18. It could be like oil and vinegar. They can mix well. Everything could be hunky dory. They could get a one seed and all is well in the Midwest. But when you get into the postseason, and maybe not so much the first round, but you know there's going to be that cloud over the Bucks in the first round based on what happened last year. And I get it. You can't compare last year to this year. Understood 100%. And chances are they're going to face an eighth seed if it were to play out that way where the Bucks do get a one seed next spring and they're going to face whomever the eighth seed is in the Eastern Conference that you would think it's not going to be a carbon copy of what we saw last year. And remember, Giannis was out for two and a half games, so that was a big part of how the Miami Heat were able to beat the Bucks in the first place in that first round matchup. But they're going to have to deal with that over their heads, knowing that, uh uh-oh, all right, well, remember what happened last year, and if they lose a game one, and what that's going to mean. But as they get deeper into the postseason, as we would think, and they go up against the likes of the Celtics, where we may see them in an Eastern Conference final, or even to an NBA final, where they may go up against a Nikola Jokic, or LeBron and AD may be healthy enough to get back to an NBA final, or any other team out West. Does Golden State have enough considering they bring back Draymond and Chris Paul, who's looking for his first ring. You have all these different storylines going in that the Bucks are going to be one of the big, if not spotlight team, that everybody's going to zero in on to think that this is a team that could probably go to a final and win. And the big part of that, the big piece of that puzzle, is going to be Damian Lillard. How he's going to handle that pressure, how he's going to be able to put that on his shoulders, and he seems to be a guy that would be willing to do so. But willing to do so in September is much different than a game five where you're 2-2 in your building and you have to deliver against the Celtics or against the Nuggets or against the Lakers as opposed to thinking about what it's like here as training camp commences here in the next week or so. And we know that Dame Lillard, yeah, he could point to his watch all he wants and he could talk about the series against OKC and nobody should question his toughness and Harden. Here I am saying that, that nobody should. But now he's getting to the deep end of the pool. Because the expectation level has been ratcheted up even higher with a superstar player next to him who is a two-time former MVP, a champion, and a former NBA Finals champion. And MVP at that. So when you come here, and again, Milwaukee's not Philly, Boston, or New York. Or even LA for that matter if you're the Lakers. But Portland... Very little expectation. And granted that they didn't really have any big teams other than the one year that they did get to a conference final in 2019 when they upset Denver in a Game 7 before getting swept by Golden State the year that Golden State lost to Toronto. So now you have to wonder whether or not that Lillard, he's going to be up for it. And he's going to say all the right things. And who knows where his heart was at. Was it him wanting to go to Miami to play with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and to be in South Beach, the glitz and the glam, etc.? Or now he's going to have to face those cold winters in Cheeseland, Wisconsin. And yes, although they're going to be favored to come out of the East, you would think, as of right to second. But did he prefer to go there or South Beach? I'm sure he'd rather choose South Beach than Milwaukee, Wisconsin. But now that's over and done with. So we'll have to wait and see as camp comes. And again, everybody's going to be with the honeymoon phase. And it's going to be all coconuts and palm trees. But we're going to really have to wait and see until we get to the latter part of the year, and more importantly, the playoffs, to see how this is all going to shake down, especially in this first year. Now, as far as Jimmy Butler, I know he made some comments about tampering with 
Portland, Milwaukee, and who knows what's going on there. We understand that players throughout the league talk. Who knows if there was anything Giannis maybe have tweeted or some underlying message that was sent to Lillard to where this trade was facilitated. Maybe it was something that Giannis brought to the front office. Hey, can we get Lillard? Who knows? But for him to call out tampering and put the onus now on the Bucks, maybe for them to get fined or whatever, at the end of the day, what's going to happen? They're not going to rescind this trade. It's not going to be a deal where all of a sudden it's going to just fall apart and then now Lillard is going to get shipped to Miami. At least so we don't think. I understand stranger things have happened. We don't know how this could play out, but I would think that when it's all said and done, whatever's going to happen with the NBA investigating the Bucks on this, they're probably going to get fined and maybe docked a first-round pick if it there is any evidence that there was tampering. And who knows, maybe that's gamesmanship on Butler's point of view because he may have thought that all along Lillard was going to end up in South Beach before the season started. And now that's not going to be the case. That's a typical, almost Miami Heat culture, Riley Jedi mind trick to try to throw at the NBA, maybe even the Bucks to say, all right, you may have gotten your player, but we may send some tampering going on. I'm sure in the days and maybe even the weeks to come leading up to the season, we'll get to see whether or not that's true. But right now, maybe that's some sour grapes on Butler's part, who knows. But when I saw that, I just said to myself, oh, geez, now we're going to have a tampering thing where I'm sure maybe behind the scenes, he was trying to send messages to Lillard about, hey, if you come to South Beach, we'll be sure to win the title next year. We could have you stay down in Brickell or in Pinecrest or certain areas down in the Miami region. Who knows? So he's got to watch it too. And I like Butler, so I don't have any personal vendetta or issues with him. But it's a thing where it's a he said, he said thing. And until this all gets uncovered, right now, it's baseless. So that's why I had to start off with that trade. And as we get closer to the NBA season, and of course our NBA preview, we'll certainly unpack it all and get our sleeves, or my sleeves rolled up, to discuss further as far as this big time trade and what this means for the NBA. And of course the Bucks are going to be one of the favorites, if not maybe the favorite to win it all, but we'll see how that boils down here as we get closer to October and obviously into next month when the season will begin on the 24th, less than a month away. All right, now I'm going to turn my attention as I lace up my cleats, get in the batter's box to discuss baseball because we're down to the final four days of the regular season. And what has taken place here so far over these first three days have been rather intriguing to say the least. And I'll start off with the Mariners because this is a team that we saw flounder through the first three and a half months of the season. They got to the All-Star break where they started to play a little bit better. But for the most part, during that first half, they were at 500. Then they took off to the point where they actually led briefly in the AL West. And now they have just fallen over a cliff. And with the way things happened there last night in Seattle, with the bench-clearing brawl, that wasn't a brawl, I should take that back, it's overstating it, but the benches cleared after Hector Norris struck out Julio Rodriguez, and Norris acted like a fool. I understand that they're both from the same agency, and they played in the Winter Baseball Classic together on the Dominican team, but for him to strike out Rodriguez and then almost approach him, coming off the mound and yelling whatever it was, Speaking in Spanish to where Rodriguez, I'm sure, was taken aback and that's where the bench is cleared, etc. But that is a micro of the macro considering how the Mariners have played here over the last month. Whether that meant on that big road trip 
where they lost two out of three to the Mets at City Field. Same with the Reds in Cincinnati, lost three out of four in Tampa, got swept in Texas last weekend, and then losing two out of three to the Astros here. Now they're really on a playoff run to the point where it is do or die for this team. And tonight, in their building where the Texas Rangers are going to look to see if they could put a division flag in their ballpark at some point over the weekend because they do have a two and a half game lead over the Astros and four over the Mariners so they can really put them out to rest. But to go back to Seattle, it's a situation where tonight, I feel if they lose, they are going to be done. Tonight's game is enormous because if they do win, they'll just be a game behind Houston in the wildcard race and they'll have a shot with three to go. If they're going to be two back with three to go, you can forget about it. Now, Houston goes to Arizona where Arizona's going to need the games as well because they do have the Marlins and Cubs. Now, granted that they are two games ahead of them, and you would think that going into this weekend, they're going to be fine. So no matter how you slice it, Arizona should be the five seed, but if they hiccup here and the Astros go on a mini winning streak, the Diamondbacks could see themselves as a six seed going to 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 Milwaukee, excuse me, Arizona that is, will play the Brewers, and then you'll have... Out of Marlins, Cubs, and you want to say Reds right now, but we'll look at Marlins, Cubs because they're tied. They will play the Phillies in that 4-5 round. But for Seattle, it's all coming down to this game tonight, and that's how they have to look at it. Because if they are a game back going into the weekend, I would think they'd have a shot. Who knows where they are psychologically, even spiritually at this point, to know that their season is about to go up in smoke, and it'll be very disappointing because of all the expectations that this team had going into the season, and after the sluggish start and playing just average baseball for, like I mentioned, three and a half months, for them to turn it on to the point that when they got to September, they've run out of gas. So this is it for the Mariners they may have screwed themselves out of a playoff spot based on the way they play, not just in this series against the Astros, but the whole month. So that is story number one. Number two are the Cubs and how they may have screwed themselves out of the playoffs in their own right because you had the situation with the Mets and Marlins, which I'll get into in a minute. But the Cubs had two leads late in Atlanta. One 6 nothing going into the bottom of the sixth. And then last night, they were up 3 nothing going into the bottom of the 7th. And what happens? They blew both games. One on a costly error by the outfielder Suzuki there on Tuesday night. And then yesterday, inexplicably, the Cub bullpen melted down. They ended up losing, I believe, 6-5 in extras. And now they're scuffling to the point where they have one more game in Atlanta before going to Milwaukee to see whether or not the Brewers will want to put them out the pasture. And the reason why those games were big because... The Marlins, they split a day-night double, or it was really a doubleheader starting at 410, not a day-night, 1 o'clock, 7 o'clock deal. But the Mets also screwed the Marlins over, and the Mets can't get out of their own way when it comes to any type of publicity. We all know that most of their publicity is bad. But think about this. Sunday and Monday, the Arizona Diamondbacks played through the rain at Yankee Stadium, And both days were just miserable, as I talked about in the podcast Monday. And for them to go ahead and play those games, to where on Tuesday it was still wet and rainy Monday morning into the early part of the afternoon. Now we're into Tuesday. If I got Monday mixed up, excuse me. But now Tuesday afternoon were the first of three between Mets and Marlins and City Field, where the rain stopped probably around lunchtime. And from that point on, it had started to clear up. 
but they had postponed the game because the field conditions were so poor that they couldn't even play the game where the Marlins had to play that doubleheader yesterday. And considering this late in the year, they're in the thick of a playoff race and the Mets say, oops, our bad. The field is unplayable, so therefore we have to push it to tomorrow to force the Marlins to play a doubleheader in which game one they got bombarded. They lost 11-2, to and you would think that that would have taken the life out of the Marlins and certainly the wind out of their sails, but they bounced back to win 4-2 in the nightcap, which was good for them, and it's weird for me to say that as a Met fan, because if they would have lost that doubleheader, they would have been a half game back going into today. But with that win last night, they draw even with the Cubs, and they have tiebreakers against the Cubs, Reds, and Diamondbacks. So even if they were to be in a flat-footed tie across the board, the Marlins will be in the postseason. And if the season ended today, they would have that sixth seed and would have to play Milwaukee in the first round. But just a weird turn of events here between what's happened in Seattle with the Mariners, the Cubs just melting down here late in these games against Atlanta, who doesn't need the game, as we all know. And then also with the Marlins just trying to hang on there to play a double dip late in the season and were able to split and get the nightcap after losing 11-2 in the opener. So now as we get into the weekend, we know what's happening in the American League. As far as the National League, here's what we got. Arizona will host the Astros starting tomorrow, but the Diamondbacks, I believe, have one more game to play tonight before, and that's a matter of fact, it's the White Sox, of course, because they had to push what was normally a three-game series Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, but because of the rain in New York over the weekend, they moved up, which would have been an off day for the Diamondbacks today. They just moved the schedule up to where they played Sunday, Monday, and then the three-game set in Chicago before flying back to Arizona later today. It's an afternoon game in Chicago, understandably, considering that they still have to fly back to Arizona. And then they'll have the Astros come into their building over the weekend. Miami, one more game against the Mets tonight before going to Pittsburgh this weekend. The Reds, if you want to include them, they're a game and a half back. The Reds, they have a series that just completed against the Cleveland Guardians to where the Cubs, excuse me, to where the Reds split that series and they had a just a tough loss there last night. So now the Reds will go to St. Louis for the weekend to end their season. And then the Cubs, like I mentioned, are going to go to Milwaukee. So it's still not set in stone as to what's happening here. I think the Marlins have an inside track to make it. And I didn't think that they were going to, considering that their ace, their horse, Sandy Alcantara, is going to be shut down for the rest of this year. But they have hung tight. They have hung tough. And good for them. Now, it doesn't bode well for this playoff picture, as I talked about last week. Because I mentioned all the top teams that are not going to be there in the postseason that have been mainstays year in and year out. Obviously, no Mets, Yankees, Cardinals. You may not have the Cubs there, Red Sox. And if everything falters down the stretch, even for the Astros, could you imagine if the Astros get swept here over the weekend and if somehow, some way, the Mariners all of a sudden go on a winning streak and then the Rangers will have the division to knock out Houston You won't have the defending champ. You won't have just a ton of these teams that we normally see in the postseason. And who knows? For the average sports fan, they may say, I'm on to the NFL, I'm on to college football, and maybe even on the hockey for that matter. So that's what you have there with the baseball as we head into this final weekend. And how I look at it, I don't think the Mariners are going to make it. I could see the Astros hanging on there for that last playoff spot. The Rangers are going to win the division. No ifs, ands, buts, and maybes about that. 
Even Toronto you have to worry about because they lost the first two games against the Yankees. And Garrett Cole's going to be your Cy Young Award winner based on his performance last night. Two hit shutout, struck out five on the heels of his last performance there against, I believe it was Arizona. No, it was against Toronto last week, which he pitched well. So I would think Cole's going to get the Cy Young, but it's going to pretty much be a lost cause because it's a season where the Yankees aren't going to go into October with any playoff games under his belt because, yes, we could talk about his tenure as a Yankee and finally getting a Cy Young, but it's not going to be on the heels of him making it where it truly and totally counts, as we've seen Cole in the past, come up small in these spots, more so that wildcard game against the Red Sox a few years back where he didn't even make it out of the third inning after he gave up bombs to, I think, Xander Bogarts and Kyle Schwarber. But that's for another day. And then you have Toronto hanging on for dear life from the standpoint of, I would think they'll make it to the postseason. They do have a half-game lead over the Astros as we currently speak. But they do have the one game against the Yankees, and then they have the Rays coming into that building over the weekend. So they still have a lot of work to do if they want to secure a wild-card spot in the American League. And then lastly, I got to double-check. I think their number over-under before the start of the year I want to say it's 89 and a half, but it may be 90 and a half. And if it's 90 and a half, they're going to have to run the table. And if not, they're going to have to win three of their final four. And that's only going to get me to 500 because the unders that I picked this year are all in the toilet. Texas, Tampa, and even Washington for that matter. I picked them all unders and they've surpassed their numbers for 2023. And my overs, the two good ones, Arizona and Pittsburgh, but... Toronto, can you bail me out here to just to look average? 500 across the board, so I'll have to wait and see about that. And then come Monday, we will preview the wild card round in Major League Baseball as the season will be over, and we'll do a little kumbaya on the season, put the Mets to bed, and maybe even discuss what's going on. We'll probably see some managers go by Monday, maybe not while I'm recording this, but still, baseball will conclude, and we will move on to the postseason the next time we reconnect. And then, of course, I'd be remiss if I did not bring up Brooks Robinson, who passed away a couple days ago. Brooks Robinson, for all intents and purposes, Mr. Oriole, number five, the Gold Glove third baseman, former MVP, arguably the best defensive third baseman of all time, and in fact, When he passed, the first thing that I thought of as a boy, and I understand this is trivial, but I have to bring this up, loving baseball the way I do, and especially as a boy, my first baseball mitt from Rawlings when you get those autographed signature series was Brooks Robinson. Not that I wanted to be a third baseman, that was just a glove that my mom got for me as a boy, my first one, and I'll never forget it, and it had dawned on me when he passed, just thinking back that, yeah, that was my first glove. And Robinson, we all understand the storied career he had in Baltimore, winning a World Series there, 1970 as well as 66, when they won those two times. It was also an MVP. And all the gold gloves that you could speak about, you could even argue that he was probably the best defensive player to his position or even one of the best defensive players of all time. That's how great Brooks Robinson was, the range, the arm, etc., making all those dynamic plays in the field. And he was before my time, even though I had the glove there in the mid-70s, but Robinson, 86 years of age, thoughts, prayers, condolences, who knows if the fan base, the community, even the team will engulf 
in the loss of Robinson, knowing that they've had this magical year where they're on the cusp of winning 100 games as a team this year, which nobody saw coming, even with their success last year in the second half of the year, making a little bit of a push before fizzling out. So for Brooks, again, and to Major League Baseball, thoughts, prayers, condolences go out to his family and throughout the landscape of baseball. All right, NFL fans, you're next up. As I put on the helmet and shoulder pads to go through the NFL and college schedules, as well as the one story that is taking place here, especially in my backyard over the last few days, and that's been the Jets, where their best player by far, and the franchise icon and legend that he is, Joe Namath, had some things to say about the current state of the union when it comes to his beloved Jet team. And when you have Joe Namath, discuss what's going on and generally over the years he has been a guy that has voiced his opinion but has been relatively tame by not bashing the organization and what he said the other day he took shots at the quarterback he took shots at the coach the front office etc and it made you wonder whether or not it was going to reverberate throughout the current team and organization as currently constituted and pretty much what Robert Sala the coach said that a they're not pointing fingers because that was a lot of the talk maybe even after the game on Sunday against New England that there's no finger pointing and that even with Aaron Rodgers and I'll get to him in a second the things that he said on Pat McAfee show as far as yeah we just got to remain calm we can't worry about the outside noise from fans or from former players he didn't mention Joe Willie Namath by name and for Salah to just try to keep the tone of the room as cool, calm, and collected as possible. And Salah didn't even mind that Rodgers had come out and said certain things. It didn't mind a lot of the things that have been brought up even by Namath. That he's just taking the high road when it comes to everything that's been directed at this team over the last, I'll say week. I can't talk about the Cowboy game because that was a game that you knew that it was going to be tough for them to win, but knowing that New England and that piano that's been on their back with Belichick and how many games they've won against the Jets over the years, and this was the one time that they could actually shut up the Patriot fan for at least one week, knowing that if they were to win that game and be 2-1, that at least for now, that the waters would be calm, but as we've seen here, between Namath, between the fan base, Rodgers having to come in to put out fires, even Sala for that matter, it's just been a disaster. And who knows what's going to happen with Zach Wilson, what his psyche's like, and his temperament as far as him just trying to do right and just do well and not just shrink in big spots or shrink in any spot for that matter. Well, what I got to say, just to start with Namath and then I'll go on down. Namath is right because Zach Wilson looks like he's not going to be the answer. The coach, he's what, 12 and 25 so far. And who knows how long he's going to be. We would think that Woody Johnson is going to give him a pass for this year because of no Aaron Rodgers. Now, if they were 1-2 and two at Rodgers at quarterback with the Chiefs coming in, maybe a different story. But we think Salah's going to be here at least past this year unless they just go 3-14 and 14 and players are going to be sniping at other players. And we saw that on the sideline there with Garrett Wilson. And there was just a lot of just displeasure and just discontent there that we saw. And that's some of the things that Rogers had mentioned, which I'll get to. But as far as Namath coming out and saying these things, listen, he's not wrong. Now, do you want to hear that come from Namath? A guy who we all know, he is the New York Jets. 
even 50 some odd years later after them winning that Super Bowl and him not taking a snap for the last five decades. But it's still a situation where if Namath is going to speak, the fans are going to rally around that and the faithful are going to look to Joe Willie to say, "Uh uh-huh, what do you got to say about that now, current Jet team? And for Salah, like I mentioned, I understand he's under a lot of pressure. There isn't any other quarterback that's going to come in here. Forget about Trevor Simeon, who they signed a couple days ago. And remember, Simeon was the guy that was on the Jet team a couple years back where Miles Garrett fell on his foot and he was done for the year after that. So now you're going to bring him back in for any type of reinforcement, which isn't anything to really bank on or anything to hang your hat on. Let's face it. I understand he's an upgrade over Tim Boyle, but Trevor Simeon, all right. Nobody's going to trade away their backup quarterback in week three, whether your name is... Gardner Minshew, or any other backup that's out there that people may have their eye on, not going to happen. It's like I said about the starting pitcher that goes down in the first start of the year. You're not going to start calling up other teams on April 3rd to say, hey, can we get your number one starter because our number one starter is done for the year? Not going to happen. But as the ship is starting to sink there out at MetLife, and with the coach, like I said, he said the right things. What more can you expect him to say or do, everything's going to be kept in-house. There's not going to be any sniping through the media because you know that they're going to just take it and run with it, whatever that's going to be put out of context, even with the stuff that happened on the sideline there on Sunday. So Salah's done all the right things, said all the right things, and what do you expect him to do? He's going to back his quarterback no matter what. He's not going to throw him under the bus. He's not going to say, well, hey, yeah, if we could trade for somebody else, we would do so in a heartbeat. He's not going to do that because even if there is some questions in that locker room or some side eyes or whatever Salah's going to do his best to protect his players by not letting it out especially in front of the media or whatever that's going to be said in front of the media so he's done a good job in that regard as far as the team and what they've done that's a totally different story we know Wilson he is under the gun he's a guy that number two overall pick you expect a whole hell of a lot more and what you've got is next to nothing. It's almost as if he's Sam Donald 2.0. So you're going to have to grin and bear it, Jet fans. That's all you could say. And even with Aaron Rodgers coming out saying what he said, pretty much giving you the relax of a few years ago. Now, he didn't use those words, of course. He just said that there doesn't need to be any finger pointing. We can't have that type of display on the sidelines for the whole world to see. We just got to take a step back, take a breather, And he's saying this from his home in Malibu, so he has his leg up as he's recovering from his Achilles surgery. But here's the one thing that Rodgers, which I'm sure he does have a grasp of, but the enormity of this franchise and what they've had to deal with, I understand they're not the Detroit Lions, they're not the Cleveland Browns, who have never even come close to sniffing a Super Bowl. Well, at least the Jets had their one day in the sun. But since that time, they have been inept. And even though Rodgers could say, We got to block all that noise out from the fan base or all that noise out from talk radio, podcasts, you name it. The media, print media, internet, etc. It is what it is. This team has not been able to get to the promised land. They haven't been able to get close to the promised land. They haven't made a playoff game in a dozen years and it looks like it's going to be a baker's dozen when it's all said and done. So for Rodgers, I get it. He's trying to, from afar, tell his team, hey... Let's just take a step back, take a big deep breath, everything's going to be okay, we just have to play to the best of our abilities, and hopefully start stringing some wins together, again saying all the right things, 
And of course, he's not going to discuss what the fan base has had to endure with him being out. And now this is already a lost season and we're only three games in. He's not going to say that. But he has to also understand that I feel where the fans are coming from. I'm just as disappointed for them. So on and so forth. If he acknowledged the fans there in that, and he may have, I haven't watched the whole interview just based on some of the quotes that I read, but he does have to take the temperature of what's going on here. He was going to be the guy with the blue and red tights with the cape on his back to take this team to heights that hasn't been seen here in forever. And with him down and out, the fan base is feeling the same way. And he can't discount that. Because if he is, That is just a bad era. And not that he's against the fans or he's not, doesn't have empathy with the fans. And I understand he's trying to tailor it more to his own team. But still, he's got to have a finger on this pulse knowing of all the expectations heading into the season. And it has literally gone up in smoke after the fourth play of the year. That's all there is to it. You got to call it like you see it. And I understand he's not going to look at it that way. He's going to look at it through Jet Green colored glasses but the Jet fan does not think that way the Jet fan always waits for the other shoe to drop and sadly that shoe dropped there what was it Monday night just 25 minutes after the game started so that's what you have with the Jets and who knows with the Chiefs coming in it's the NFL anything could happen watch the Jet defense shut down the Chief offense and the next thing you know they go away winning 17-14 strange things have happened but I can't expect that and the Jet defense, as we know, is now supposed to be their identity. has been anything but that, considering what happened there on Sunday where the Patriots got off to a lead, and they, even though they hung on at the end. But yes, 15 points when it's all said and done is great, and the offense has to do their job. But it's not as if the defense is lighting the world on fire to the point where they're even the New York Sack Exchange, let alone the 85 Bears, as DJ Reed, their defensive back, said before the season began. And as far as the schedule here in week number four, you have your first London game, Atlanta at Jacksonville, which is really at Wembley Stadium, so you got that. You also have the Thursday night Detroit at Green Bay, which is weird because this is Detroit's second Thursday night game in, what, four weeks? Really, when you think about it, what, three weeks? Because it's the 28th, they started on the 7th. So they have three Thursday games overall because they also have the Thanksgiving game, which is the 12-30 game in late November, and Green Bay goes to Detroit in that Thanksgiving Day game, so it's weird how you have your Thursday night scenario on Prime, Detroit at Green Bay, and then you have Thanksgiving Day, the first game being Green Bay at Detroit, and you have Detroit on Prime Time, three of your first four games of the season? Well, we'll see what happens there tonight. That should be a good game. Two two on one teams. You would think one of those two teams will be your division winner, considering both the Bears and Vikings are 0 3. So you got that one to kick you off. But other than that, the game of the weekend by far is Miami at Buffalo at 1 o'clock. And that game is going to be everything. I'm not trying to say that Buffalo is going to be the one seed or a top team in the AFC. They probably will end up being one of the top three seeds when it's all said and done. Or if Miami has something to say about that, they'll end up being a five seed. But this is more a game for Miami than it is for Buffalo. They haven't won in Buffalo, I believe, since 2016. They're 1-9 in their last 10 games in Buffalo. 
We know what happened last year late. It was a close game, and they weren't able to pull it out that Christmas. I think it was right before the Christmas Day games because that was one of your Saturday night games, that triple header, I believe, right before Christmas. And it was tooth and nail, and actually the Dolphins took the lead, but they ended up squandering it late there in the fourth quarter. And then you have a scenario where, for them, after that performance against the Broncos on Sunday, scoring 70 points, and not that you expect anything close to that this coming Sunday, but knowing that they've been an offensive juggernaut for the start of this year, and I talked about that on Monday's podcast. If you haven't listened to it, please go back and check it out. But this is all about Miami. This has nothing to do with Buffalo. If Buffalo loses this game... Yeah, it would sting because they'd be two and a half games behind the Dolphins in the AFC for the division. But to me, if the Dolphins lose this game, it's going to be not typical Dolphins or whatever. But if they want to make a statement, if they want to show the NFL that they belong in the upper echelon with San Francisco, with, all right, I'll say Dallas for right now, even though they had that bad loss in Arizona. You want to say Kansas City because they are the defending champs and they turn things around there on Sunday against the Bears. If they want to belong as one of the elite teams in the sport, win in Buffalo Sunday. That's it. I don't care how you win. If Josh Allen throws five interceptions, then so be it. We could say Josh Allen threw the game away, but you know what? Doesn't matter. The Dolphins will still end up winning the game. So that is one game to me out of all the games on Sunday. Because the Sunday night game, we all talked about that. Chiefs, Jets. <laughs> Who's going to watch that, please? Your Monday night game is Seattle at the Giants. Another snoozer, if you ask me. Your 425 game is New England at Dallas. Who cares? Because you would think, even though with Ezekiel Elliott going back to Dallas for the first time since leaving there when he was there for, what, six, seven years? And even mentioned that he doesn't know how he's going to feel. I'm sure there's going to be some emotions running through his body. But that's a storyline. But once kickoff, you would think Dallas is going to take over, especially after that stinker they put up in the desert there on Sunday. But after that, huh, slim pickings, my people. Denver, Chicago. So that's two 0-3 teams going at it there. You also have Minnesota at Carolina, two 0-3 teams going at it there. Tampa at New Orleans. Who knows if Derek Carr is going to be back. He did say, if I play, I'll play. So maybe as long as his shoulder isn't falling out of his socket... You would think he's going to suit up at home against the Buccaneers, which right now looks like a big game. Both teams are 2-1, but is that a game you're going to run to the television set to watch? Not me. Cincinnati at Tennessee, Baltimore at Cleveland. All right, two 2-1 teams. Where do the Ravens stack there, especially in that division? And interestingly enough, Baltimore goes to Cleveland, and then next Sunday goes to Pittsburgh, which means they clear out their AFC North road schedule before you even get to the middle of the month. Think about it. Before you get to Columbus Day, they're done with the AFC North on the road. So good for them as they have Cleveland and Pittsburgh back-to-back. Vegas at the Chargers. Arizona at San Francisco. Uh, This is just not a good weekend. And you're banking on Miami and Buffalo to be, hopefully, what it will be billed, no pun intended, as a top-flight five-star showdown between two AFC East powerhouses and maybe even AFC powerhouses for the conference. So that's what you have with the schedule And now I can finally say, because the last two weeks, bad job on my part when it comes to my knockout pool pick, because although I did post it on my YouTube channel, at JReels, I might add, but my knockout picks I had here over the first three weeks, Washington and Arizona, which barely got by as Washington hung on to win that, New York Giants over Arizona, where they were down 28-7, we know how that unfolded, and thanks to the Giants pulling it out in the second half, Seattle, like, 
over Carolina last week, which that happened, and I'm going back to the well with Arizona again. And yes, I'm picking San Francisco just to go with a safe route. And even though Arizona's played well, just like I mentioned, those first two games, they won their first game against Dallas last week. But I don't know. I think it's going to be 2-12 in order to go on the road to the, I was going to say to the Bay Area. Really, it's Santa Clara. Let's call it as we see it. And I think the Niners are going to run roughshod over the Cardinals after their first win and playing well the first three weeks. So I got San Francisco over Arizona. That's my knockout pool pick for week number four. As I take a look at the week five college football schedule, it's certainly going to pale in comparison to what we had there last week. But you do have a few good games that we could sink our teeth into. And the first one being at 12 noon where USC will go to Colorado. And I know there's been a lot of backlash this week with everything that happened with the Buffaloes losing at Oregon and with the coach Dan Lanning, what he said. And obviously everybody just jumping on the, just slamming Colorado and the Dion bandwagon after his first three weeks, etc. You knew that was going to be a tough game. There were 22-point underdogs to go into that game. So why is anybody like laughing at Colorado or even at Dion for that matter? Like almost like a ha-ha, you got what you deserve, whatever. It's not as if they were a three-point underdog or they were even favored to win the game. Now, mind you, this game is at home and USC is ranked eighth in the country. And of course, you have Caleb Williams, who is one of the front runners for the Heisman, the quarterback there for the Trojans. So let's see how Colorado responds here after that defeat where you throw out the game tape of what happened there. And to me, this is where we're going to really see Colorado's true colors. And I'm not trying to say that they have to win the game. I'm not trying to say that they have to even eke out a 27-24 game. You want them to be competitive. We're really going to see the character and the toughness of this team, and of course their ability for that matter, because when they stepped up in class last week, they didn't belong on the field, and that's one you just got to chalk up to Oregon was better. They were waiting for them. I'm sure the coach had a lot to say heading into the week and obviously said a lot afterwards. But all right, now, after the dust is settled, we have a home game, a tougher division opponent, a Heisman Trophy candidate on the other side. Let's see if we can show up and show out to not only be competitive, maybe win the game. And if they do that, then I'm sure everybody's going to jump on the Colorado bandwagon again. But if USC, for whatever reason, goes in there, and not to say they're going to blow their doors off similar to what Oregon did, But if it's a scenario where it is a 31-16 USC, somewhat of a cakewalk type of game, then Colorado, who's already out of the top 25, not to say they're going to have a long year, but it's going to be one of those years where everybody thought pie in the sky could be 10-11 games and maybe on the fringe of making it to the college football playoff. Now, you're going to have to think they're going to be 8-5, they'll get a bowl game, but a lot of the bloom will be off that rose and they still have Utah, UCLA down the road. They still have tough opponents that they have to face. So even though with these two back-to-back weeks being a step up in competition, but there's still a lot more down the road to be played and whether or not Colorado's going to stack up to that competition obviously remains to be seen and they have another big one here at 12 noon, 10 a.m. local time there in Boulder. Other than that, Kansas at Texas, only because they're both highly ranked. Georgia and Auburn. Auburn, maybe could they pull a miracle there with the Bulldogs coming in? Quite possible. It's not as if Georgia has been world beaters here early on. Not to say that they played poorly. I understand we could look back, what was it, a couple of weeks ago where 
Georgia, the game against South Carolina was one of those. Not that there was in any question or it was in doubt, but Carolina hung around, and therefore, maybe if you want to nitpick, you could say they could be ripe for an upset here, especially when they got to go to Auburn. So that's just an underlying note. I don't think that's anything that you need to have your radar up, but if Auburn has a lead early or maybe they're within a score in the fourth quarter or maybe even the third quarter for that matter, then at least you'll be put on notice there to tune into that game. You have Notre Dame going to Duke, even after the tough loss that they suffered there against Ohio State. That's a game where Duke now ranked. Who knows what what they did early on this year to Clemson. Maybe they could be competitive to see if they could move up in the ranks and really be considered not a serious threat to the college football playoff mix, but a team that would have to be on your radar moving forward. So you have that, and then... That pretty much rounds it out. I'm not going to get into LSU Ole Miss. Yeah, I get you could say that maybe that's a game because SEC, etc. And LSU had a wild game against Arkansas there on Saturday, which I didn't discuss. But LSU, let's see what they could do there against Ole Miss. But other than that, you got really nothing else that you could shake a stick at to really say, all right, what could we check out on a college football Saturday where it's going to be rainy again here in the Northeast and... We're going to have to deal with a lot of wet weather as we did last weekend. So you got a couple of games that you could rally around to watch here, but nothing like last week as we talked about there on Monday. And then to wrap up as I break out my golf clubs, because we do have, if you want to say it's a pseudo major or maybe the fifth major golf, I certainly don't look at it that way. But the Ryder Cup is a big deal because you have the U.S. going against Europe. And this time the tournament will be played in Rome where if you remember two years ago, it was played here on U.S. soil, where the U.S. players were finally able to snap that long hex against the Europeans. If you recall, you had the love affair between Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka, where obviously no love lost between those two players heading into that Ryder Cup. But because they were able to win, and you had Justin Thomas with a kumbaya, and had everybody hug, and even they had a sense of solidarity, the two players, as we all know, big egos and big time players that they are, DeChambeau and Kepka. Well, now this time around where the U.S. have not won on European soil in 30 years, the golf course, I couldn't even tell you what it's going to be like, if it's hilly, if it's treacherous, if they have a lot of dog laughs, well, I couldn't even tell you that. Now, the tournament begins tomorrow and it goes through the weekend, so you have Three days to see whether or not that the U.S. could finally get themselves over the hump. And when we take a look, I know there was some controversy surrounding a couple of players, whether it was Justin Thomas, especially on the U.S. side. And as far as the European side, there was one where you could certainly question whether or not that he should have belonged on the team. And whether you're splitting hairs or not, and of course, I'm not going to follow it that closely to see whether that this player should have belonged or deserved to be on the team. Because, not to say who am I to say, but I really truly don't have my finger on the pulse when it comes to a guy like Shane Lowry, where people thought that they probably could have brought in somebody else. And I get it, you could look at a guy like Sergio Garcia, but because of his ties with the Live, he wasn't going to be a part of this tournament. And even though you do have Brooks Kepka, who is part of the U.S. mix and of course is a part of Live. He's playing in this tournament, but again, a lot of it has to do with the success that he's had recently in the major tournaments where Garcia obviously hasn't. So I can't really handicap it based on the golf course. We could talk about these players until we're blue in the face. 
It looks like it's relatively even when we talk about the top players for each of the U.S. and Europe. And the only thing I could say here is that when we have guys like Scotty Scheffler for the U.S. and also Rory McIlroy, who, as we all know, is one of the top players, although he, for whatever reason, folds his tent when it comes to the major tournaments. Uh, he, Victor Hovland, who's played well this year. Of course, Brooks Kepka, as I mentioned. Patrick Cantley, Zonda Shoffley. I mean, you have a stout and robust field here for both the U.S. and the Europeans. And I guess the streak will probably continue. I would pick the Europeans for this reason. I'm sure they'd want to continue that streak of 30 years plus of U.S. not winning on their soil. But then also with Europe losing the previous Ryder Cup there a couple of years ago, I'm sure they want to get back on the beam to think, uh-uh, we want to take our title back. Why not do it best where we've been able to thwart the Americans to win overseas over the past three decades? So just based on that, I'm going to pick the Europeans, and this isn't an anti-US pick, so before people say, ah, oh, way to go, J-Reels, way to be patriotic, etc. Listen, it is what it is. If they've played well on European soil over all these years, and I get it that that streak's going to come to a conclusion at some point, but you got to give it up. And knowing that the U.S. won the last Ryder Cup, why would the Europeans think that, oh no, we want to take our title back and do it on our quote-unquote home turf? Then that's why I see the Europeans coming out on top. But we'll recap that all on Monday and everything else that's happening in the world of sports. You know I got you covered as we put the lid on the final podcast of September as October is on the horizon. As always, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you for carving out precious time out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. That will go a long way to increasing the visibility, as I mentioned at the very top. And if you haven't done so, go to all my social media feeds, my YouTube channel, at JReels, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the JReels Podcast, X, Twitter, JReels1, just a number. If you want to send me a question, comment, suggestion, do so at those aforementioned platforms and channel and the old-fashioned way the jrails podcast at gmail.com whatever questions comments again send them to me i'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know this is what i love to talk about people it's in the blood it's in the dna as i like to say it doesn't matter what time of day what time of year wake your boy up and i'll be in front of this mic into your earbuds headphones or speakers delivering nothing but passion fire fury energy with my thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques, praise on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>